Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good day and welcome to the Molson Coors Beverage Company first quarter 2020 earnings conference call. All participants will be in listen-only mode. Should you need assistance, please signal a conference specialist by pressing the star key followed by zero. After today's presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To ask a question, you may press star then one on your touchtone phone. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. Participants can find related slides on the Investor Relations page at Molson Coors' website. Our speakers today are Gavin Hattersley, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Tracy Joubert, Chief Financial Officer. Please note, today's event is being recorded. With that, I will turn the conference over to Greg Tierney, Vice President of FP&A and Investor Relations. Please proceed, sir. Thank you, Eric, and hello, everybody. Uh, following prepared remarks today from Gavin and Tracy, we'll take your questions. Please limit yourself to one question, and if you have more than one question, please ask your most pressing question first, and then you can re-enter the queue to follow up. To the extent you have technical questions on the quarter week, we'll ask that you pick those up with me in the days and weeks that follow. Today's discussion includes forward-looking statements within the meaning of applicable securities laws, important factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from expectations and projections contained in such statements are disclosed in the company's filings with the SEC. The company does not undertake to update forward-looking statements, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Gap reconciliations for any non-U.S. gap measures are included in our news release or otherwise available on the company's website at www.molsoncoors.com. And also, unless otherwise indicated, all financial results the company discusses are versus the comparable prior year period and in U.S. dollars. So with that, I'll turn it over to you, Gavin. Thanks, Greg, and thanks, everybody, for joining us this this morning. It's safe to say that the first quarter of 2020 was unlike any other in our company's long history. We came out of a significant restructuring in Q4 of 2019 that was designed to free up resources to invest back in our business. In the early parts of Q1, we saw mounting confidence and enthusiasm for our plans and for our brands, internally and externally. But in late February, that was interrupted by a tragic shooting at our Milwaukee brewery. And for the past few months, the entire global economy has been disrupted by the continued spread of coronavirus and the efforts to contain it. In a few short months, the landscape for all businesses has changed, not only for our industry, but for all of industry. And so necessarily the metrics by which we measure our business have also changed. What you will see today is that in the short term we are making adjustments and no longer measuring ourselves against the five components of the revitalization plan that we outlined for the past two quarters, which was a demonstration of how we were reapplying savings generated by the restructure. Rather, we are looking at two overarching yet simple metrics. Firstly, taking the necessary steps to protect our employees and to mitigate the immediate business challenges of the coronavirus. And secondly, positioning our business to succeed in the medium and long term as we enter a new normal. That's the context for what we will discuss today. I do think it's important to discuss what we were accomplishing before the pandemic hit in full force. Before the impact of coronavirus became widespread throughout North America and Europe, we were making progress against the revitalization plan. We continued to invest and maintain momentum with our iconic core brands, including continued positive share of segment trends for Miller Lite and Coors Light in January and February. This provides further evidence that our marketing campaigns, It's Miller Time and Made to Chill, are resonating with new legal-age drinkers. And in Europe, we ended February showing total volume growth and growth in our national champion brands, including Carling. We were also seeing early positive signs around our big innovation bets in the above premium segment. In the U.S., Blue Moon Light Sky and San Ancho Gold both started the year off strong, 
Per Nielsen, for the four weeks ended April 11th, they are both top 10 brands in case share for new products launched nationally this year. And we recently launched Busy Hard Seltzer and Movo Canned Wine Spritzers nationally, both of which are generating significant excitement from distributors and retailers. In Europe, we were growing above premium brands in February with double-digit growth in our craft portfolio. And in Latin America, in February, we were growing volume 18% versus the prior year. We also made progress on our organizational restructure. We recently finalized our European organization, which means our entire organizational structure is now set. We are now focused on transitioning all work to the end-state organization. And we have been very successful in starting to generate the expected revitalization plan savings, though in the short term we are using these dollars to protect our cash and liquidity position given the uncertainty in the economy. Despite the early progress in our revitalization plan, our Q1 results were disproportionately affected by two events. The first was coronavirus, which I'll talk more about shortly, and the second was the horrific shooting at our Milwaukee brewery. While this may have been a passing tragedy for those outside the company, it impacted every employee in different ways. It changed the employee experience in our company forever, and it materially impacted sales to wholesalers in late February and early March. The brewery was shut down for an entire week, and when it reopened, it took a few days to get back to full capacity. This downtime affected shipment levels in March, and together with the pantry load that took place during the last half of March, resulted in lower-than-planned distributed inventory at the end of the quarter. This was a major moment in the history of our company. We lost friends and colleagues. People lost a sense of security, and the culture issues that were raised following this shooting must be addressed, and they will be addressed. We've already conducted listening sessions with brewery and corporate employees and hired a new Director of Diversity Inclusion to ensure we have a robust DNI strategy that's anchored in all areas of our business. And we will continue taking meaningful long-term actions to help build our culture and ensure we have a more diverse and inclusive workplace. The second event that materially affected our Q1 results was coronavirus, a pandemic that has changed the world, not just for our business and our industry, but for the entire global economy. Like everyone else, the full impact and what our new normal looks like going forward is still uncertain. The coronavirus has had and will have a material impact on our business. With the financial impacts of coronavirus still very uncertain, we recently announced that we have withdrawn our financial outlook for 2020 and beyond. This remains true today, as we will not be providing financial guidance on this call. We will, however, provide additional data to help you better understand our business and how it could be impacted by coronavirus. As I mentioned earlier, the savings we continue to generate from our revitalization plan are being used to protect our cash and liquidity position. We expect a significant negative impact to revenue and profit due to the closing of on-premise accounts around the world. In many instances, the on-premise has been reduced to zero. To help give you a sense of how we've been impacted, based on 2019 numbers, approximately 17% of our North American NSR comes from the on-premise. Pantry loading did create a significant surge in off-premise sales in North America during the latter part of March across a number of our brands, benefiting our STR performance at the end of March. However, this pantry load has not continued into April, and while off-premise sales continue to perform well, we do not expect them to fully offset the loss of the on-premise volume. In Europe, based on 2019 numbers, the on-premise channel accounts for approximately 50 to 55% of NSR, and it's even higher in the United Kingdom, our most profitable European market, where approximately 70 to 75% of NSR comes from the on-premise channel. While we are benefiting from some pantry loading and the shift of consumption to the off-premise, we expect the continued closure of the on-premise trade will have major implications for the performance of our European business in the second quarter in particular. As I outlined earlier in the call, we are looking at two overarching yet simple metrics as we manage the impact from coronavirus. Firstly, taking the necessary steps to protect our employees and mitigate the immediate business challenges of the coronavirus. And secondly, positioning our business succeed in the medium and long term as we enter a new normal. 
That is how we have approached decision-making during the pandemic, and these two metrics will continue to guide our decision-making moving forward. So when the crisis started, we took immediate steps to protect our employees, support our communities, and ensure the continuity of our business. We implemented our crisis management and business continuity plans to guide decision-making, and our team have led us through the series of steps we have already taken. We've implemented additional health and safety measures in our breweries and distribution centers, ensuring these federally and provincially designated essential operations can continue operating and we can protect our employees. We have stepped up cleaning, sanitization, and hygiene and changed business practices to encourage social distancing. We instituted temperature screenings, provided cloth face masks, and made hand sanitizer widely available for all employees who are continuing to work on site. In North America, we created a new paid leave policy, adding up to 80 hours of paid leave to ensure anyone who contracts the coronavirus or is forced to self-quarantine can do so without losing pay or being forced to use their normally allotted sick leave. We are thanking our essential North American brewery employees with a pay incentive of $5 per hour for hourly employees and $200 per week for salaried employees who are continuing to work on site. And we created a voluntary paid leave program in North America so any employee deemed by federal health authorities to be at high risk can receive paid leave of 60% of their regular wages. And we instituted an unpaid leave program for any employee who doesn't feel safe coming to work. We are also supporting our communities and those most impacted by coronavirus across North America and Europe. We are using marketing plans, charitable efforts, and industry trade associations to support service professionals in on-premise locations. We are helping truck drivers across North America and homeless shelters in our communities by providing them with fresh water. We are also producing hand sanitizer to provide to our frontline employees and first responders in our local communities. Consumer buying habits have changed significantly during the pandemic, and so we've also taken steps across North America and Europe to shift how we're marketing our brands. We have prioritized and shifted media to platforms where we expect higher viewership like gaming, online video, and social media, while suspending on-premise activation and reducing or eliminating other platforms that have been impacted. We have also focused investments against our best-known brands to stay top of mind. With significant economic uncertainty, consumers are turning to big brands they trust. In fact, since pantry loading began in mid-March in the United States, we're seeing industry share trends improve for both Coors Light and Miller Light per Nielsen. Both brands are seeing better share trends than in mid-March, and both are growing segment share at an increasing rate. We will continue to meaningfully support these brands and look for ways to make them culturally relevant like we did with Miller Lite's virtual tip jar to support hospitality workers and Coors Light's social activation with Olive, the 93-year-old Pennsylvania grandmother, which generated over 2 billion PR impressions. We also have a diverse portfolio of products, including a strong economy segment. In the U.S., our economy segment STRs, and in particular the Keystone family of brands, are performing well. We've always said that all segments matter, and that has never been truer than today, as consumers seek value in these difficult times. Clearly, this is a less than ideal time to launch new products, and that is why we have delayed some of our new innovations and test and learn launches for the time being to ensure they are best positioned to succeed when they do hit shelves. However, we remain very optimistic about the brands that have launched recently in Hard Seltzer, Blue Moon Light Sky, St. Archer Gold, and Movo Canned Wine Spritzes. All of these brands have clear points of differentiation and are generating excitement from distributors and consumers. Beyond the products we have in the market, we are also adapting the way we get them to consumers by accelerating our e-commerce efforts subject to government regulations. We are partnering with a number of alcohol delivery platforms and other click-and-mortar retail sites to merchandise and make it easier to find our beers online. We are launching new e-commerce tools like a product locator for online purchases. We have also taken a number of financial actions to protect our balance sheet and put ourselves in the best position to weather this storm. We are reducing 2020 capital expenditures by approximately $200 million. 
We're substantially reducing discretionary spending, limiting new hiring, and have furloughed certain employees within Europe and our North American hospitality businesses. And we're taking a hard look at all of our marketing investments and eliminating anything that will not deliver value in the current environment. We will continue to take additional financial actions if necessary, and our desire is to maintain our investment grade rating. It may be cliche, but these are uncertain times for all industries. We will continue to navigate this challenging time by mitigating the short-term risks and ensuring that we position the business to compete and win in the medium and long term. So while we will continue to evaluate this situation and take all prudent and proactive actions that are in the best interests of the company in the medium and long term, we will not take actions that could have unintended consequences to our future success. Now I'll turn it over to Tracy for our Q1 financial results. Trace? Thank you, Gavin, and hello, everyone. I will first cover the quarter on a consolidated and regional basis, then move to our outlook. With the uncertainty in the current environment, we will be giving additional forward visibility, including some April volume results, and offering a perspective on how we believe we will be impacted by the coronavirus as we move forward. The April results are just one data point and represent only a portion of the second quarter, but do give some visibility to the impact that we're seeing on our business now. We do not expect to continue to give this visibility on future calls. So to recap the quarter, Net sales revenue decreased 8.2% in constant currency. This decline was largely driven by our undershipment position in North America, coupled with the impacts of the coronavirus across the entire business. These impacts include volume declines, estimated net sales returns and reimbursements of $31.5 million, resulting mainly from the return of kegs related to the on-premise channel, as well as unfavorable mix. These impacts were partially offset by higher global net pricing. Net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis decreased 1.6% in constant currency, reflecting the impact of estimated net sales returns and reimbursements related to the on-premise impacts of the coronavirus, as well as unfavorable mix partially offset by positive pricing. While we continue to deliver positive pricing in the quarter, our mix was unfavorably impacted by the various market dynamics and consumer shifts caused by the coronavirus. Specifically, the shutdown of on-premise locations, as well as timing of when stay-at-home orders went into place across our various markets, had an adverse impact on geographic mix. And notably, as many of our higher-end products are skewed towards the on-premise, the closure of these establishments had an unfavorable impact on our brand mix. Worldwide brand volume decreased 1.8%, driven by declines in Europe, while financial volumes decreased 8.3%, reflecting unfavorable shipment timing in the U.S. and lower contract brewing volumes. Underlying COGS per hectolitre increased 3.3% on a constant currency basis, driven by volume deleverage and inflation, partially offset by cost savings. Underlying MG&A decreased 2.2% on a constant currency basis, driven by cost savings and targeted spend reductions, partially offset by a slight increase in marketing spend. As a result, underlying EBITDA decreased 15.8% on a constant currency basis. Underlying free cash flow reflects the cash use of 216.6 million, which is $53.5 million favorable to prior year, driven by favorable changes in working capital and lower interest payments, partially offset by lower underlying EBITDA and higher capital expenditures. In North America, net sales revenue decreased 7.2% in constant currency. This decline was driven by unfavorable shipment timing in the U.S including brewery downtime associated with the Milwaukee tragedy and lower contract brewing volumes, coupled with estimated net sales returns and reimbursements of $19 million driven by our keg return program. We anticipate that the U.S. undershipment position will largely reverse over the full year and expect the U.S. shipment trend to outperform U.S. brand volume trends in the second quarter. North American brand volume increased 0.4%, benefiting from the timing of trading days this year as well as the March pantry loading in the U.S. 
Net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis decreased 1.3% in constant currency, driven by the on-premise sales returns and reimbursements, as well as unfavorable geographic mix driven by increased license volume in Mexico, partially offset by net pricing growth. Underlying EBITDA decreased 11.9% in constant currency due to lower financial volume, unfavorable mix and COGS inflation, partially offset by lower MG&A, cost savings in COGS, and net pricing growth. The MG&A reduction was driven by cost savings related to the revitalization plan, as well as cycling higher project costs in the prior year related to brewery systems implementations, partly offset by a slight increase in marketing spend around our new innovations that occurred early in the quarter, such as Blue Moon Light Sky and St. Archer Gold. This spend was in line with our initial plans for 2020 prior to actions taken to mitigate the impacts associated with the coronavirus. In North America, and particularly in the U.S., we benefited from pantry loading at the end of March that positively impacted our brand volumes as sales to retailers in the U.S. finished the quarter reflecting improved trends from earlier in the quarter. In the four weeks ended April the 24th, 2020, in the U.S., STRs were down 14.1%, driven by lower premium and above premium brand trends, with economy brand performance down 4.1% in the four weeks. We continue to see strong STR trends in the off-premise, but these trends are not fully offsetting the virtual elimination of the on-premise sales. We expect the negative on-premise trends to continue while social isolation continues to be practiced and expect that any increase in total off-premise volumes due to channel shifting will not be sufficient to offset the losses experienced in the on-premise. We estimate that this will result in negative trends in volume, NSR, and mix versus our prior estimates and expect those trends to continue at least through the end of the year and in particular in the second quarter. Now, turning to Europe, net sales on a reported basis decreased 13.4% in constant currency due to lower volume, lower net sales per hectolitre, and sales returns related to the on-premise impacts resulting from the coronavirus. Net sales per hectolitre on a brand volume basis declined 5.2% in constant currency, driven by unfavorable geographic mix, particularly due to the impact of the higher margin UK business partially offset by net positive pricing. Financial volume decreased 10% and brand volumes decreased 8.5% as a result of the pandemic. Europe's underlying EBITDA reflects a loss of $4.1 million compared to income of $13.5 million in the prior year, driven by gross margin impacts of volume declines and cost inflation, partially offset by lower MG&A expenses as a result of cost mitigation actions taken in response to the coronavirus pandemic. In Europe, brand volumes were down more than 20% in March, driven by closures of on-premise accounts, which began roughly a third of the way through the month. In the most recent four weeks, brand volumes are down approximately 40%. Our relative share position in Europe is significantly higher in the on-premise channel than in the off-premise, so we expect to be disproportionately impacted by the virtual shutdown of this channel and expect share losses during the shutdown period. In the off-premise, our capacity and staffing constraints will result in us not being able to meet the full demand of short-term channel shifts. Based on 2019 results, our on-premise business comprised approximately 50 to 55% of NSR. We are taking significant steps in reducing spending for both capital and expense, and have taken steps around cash collections to minimize collection risks. Despite these actions, a prolonged shutdown of the on-premise business due to the coronavirus will have a meaningful impact on European and total company gross margin and profitability. This takes me to our financial outlook. On March the 27th, we withdrew our guidance due to uncertainty driven by the coronavirus pandemic. The pandemic is impacting our business due to on-premise losses across the entire business and disproportionately in Europe. We expect an outcome of lower volume, negative mix, and unfavorable fixed cost absorption in COGS while the on-premise channel remains shut down and slowly reopens, 
but the magnitude and duration of these impacts are still uncertain. Despite this risk, our continued desire is to maintain our investment grade rating, and as Gavin mentioned, we are taking steps to ensure we protect our balance sheet and put ourselves in the best position to weather the storm. Given the uncertainty, volatility, and likely continued impact of the coronavirus, we continue to monitor and take proactive steps to ensure proper business continuity and adequate liquidity for our company. Therefore, we borrowed $750 million effective March the 13th and another $250 million effective March the 25th on our $1.5 billion revolving credit facility for an aggregate draw of $1 billion as at the end of March 2020. As of April the 30th, we have paid back $400 million on the RCF, leaving us with an aggregate draw of $600 million and therefore an additional $900 million of capacity to draw. As we discussed earlier, we already have implemented a number of steps, including reducing our 2020 capital expenditures by approximately $200 million, substantially reducing discretionary spend, limiting new hiring, furloughing certain employees, and significantly reducing marketing investments. In addition, we and our board are actively evaluating various capital allocation options including a suspension, reduction, or temporary elimination of our dividend. Obviously, this is a very fluid situation as governments and companies evaluate the impact of coronavirus and pre prepare for the reopening of the economy. Our management and our board will continue to take prudent and proactive actions which are in the best interest of the company, our employees, consumers, customers, and our stockholders as things become clearer in the rapidly evolving situation. Our decisions will be guided by and consistent with the company's overall financial discipline, ensuring adequate liquidity and our desire to maintain our investment grade rating. As we contemplate taking additional actions to navigate this unprecedented environment, we remain mindful of not taking any actions that would have unintended negative ramifications to our business or that would jeopardize our medium or long-term success. So with that, thank you for your time and attention, and I'll turn it back to Greg for Q&A. Eric? Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask your question, you may press star, then one on your touchtone phone. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. As previously stated, in the interest of time, please limit yourself to one question so that others may be able to ask theirs. If you wish to ask a follow-up, you may re-enter the question queue you may, by doing so by pressing the star then one key. Our first question today will come from Andrea Tezera of JP Morgan. Please proceed with your question. Thank you very much. I was just uh, trying to get, um, and I hope, I'm sorry, I hope all is well. I wanted to get a sense of the shipments, the SDRs for on-premises against at home. Uh, obviously, we got the number four uh, total, and I was just wondering if you have capacity and you have um, potential for improvement there in the in the at home. Thank you. Thanks, Andrea, and uh, good morning to you. I hope all is well with you as as well. Um, from an from a from an STR point of view. Um, Obviously, the on-premises is, is virtually shut across almost all of our markets, um, and um, we've had some significant skew shifts into the into the off-premise. I think similar to other beverage companies, um, our pack mix has, has shifted quite fundamentally because of the differing shopping habits, and and so uh, capacity has been, um, I would say, strained uh, mostly in the area of 12-ounce cans. Um, and uh, folding cartons. It's, it's not an issue that's unique to our business. It's, a un it's, it's across the whole beverage uh, uh, segment. Um, so we're working with our packaging suppliers to prioritize SKUs. We're um, looking at qualifying alternative supplier locations to, to help out with that. Um, I would say that we've had minimal out-of-stocks in uh, our North American markets because of this, but we're running uh, from an off-premise, you know, large pack point of view pretty much uh, flat out in in North America, um, in Europe we we have had um, some capacity constraints, particularly in the United Kingdom, 
um, given that that market is, is, has been substantially more on-premise focused with less focus on, on off-premise. So we have had some out-of-stocks in the off-premise in, in, in Europe because we haven't been able to uh, meet fully the demand. I hope that answers your question. It does, and then thank you very much. Um, then the other the other question would be on the marketing spend. Um, I understand that you shifted, um, and some of the uh, discretionary spending may not be um, may not be realized. So I wonder if you can kind of weave that comment with your cost savings and how we can, because perhaps you had ex excess uh, expenses now. For keeping your employees safe, and obviously, unfortunately, for the tragedy, and and my my sentiment and condolences to everyone impacted. So, if we should be thinking that the impacts will be lower as we progress in the year, or unfortunately, that that some of the things are you can't change uh, given the timing, and um, and some of them are fixed. So, just to understand your fixed cost uh, and expense ratio going forward. Thank you. Uh, so we've got a lot of questions in there, I think, Andrea. So let me try and try and address them. And if I don't, um, you can come back again. Um, but yeah, obviously, there's no doubt this is a really tra challenging time for us, uh, not just for our business, but for everybody in our in our industry. And you know, our focus, as I said, right now is mitigating the short-term business challenges and positioning our business to succeed in the in the long term. Uh, from a sales to wholesalers point of view, the impact of the Milwaukee Brewery tragedy. Um, as Tracy, I think, said, was, was from a shipment's point of view in February and early March. And because of that, our inventory levels at the end of March were lower than we would um, have liked. Um, subsequent to that time, um, our supply chain folk have done a, a tremendous job building our inventories back up again. And I would say that um, they are um, pretty much where we would like them to be, with the exception of shortages on some of our large pack sizes where we, 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 we have um, you know some supply constraints from a from a packaging uh, point of view. Um, so we, we would expect um, shipments to wholesalers to migrate closer to, to sales to retailers um, in, in the second quarter. From a marketing standpoint, you know, consumers are still drinking lots of beer. In the US, 80% of our beer is, is consumed in the on-premise. And so it's really important that we keep our biggest, most recognized brands top of mind when, they, when, they sh when they're shopping. So from a marketing standpoint, we're taking five clear steps to meet the consumer needs and consumer habits which have developed right now. Uh, we're focusing our investment against our biggest, most recognizable brands like Miller Lite, Coors Light, and Blue Moon. We've reevaluated all of our creative that was going to market, and we've adjusted it to make sure that it's more culturally relevant. Uh, for example, we pulled a, you know, the highly anticipated March Madness spot, Coors Light, um, before it was launched um, for obvious reasons. We've shifted our media um, plans towards key platforms where we expected viewership to be higher, like social, gaming, podcasts, online video, um, over the top, uh, versus um, cinema, cinema and out of, out of home, which is where we might have been before. Uh, we've enabled a large percentage of our creative to link to e-commerce beer purchases so consumers can buy their favorite beers from the comfort and safety of their homes. And finally, we've identified opportunities where our uh, brands could meaningfully and authentically provide uh, value. For example, for Miller Lite, we created the virtual tip jar in the first week of isolation. And in Canada, Molson has, la has launched um, you know, the Raise for One for You local to support local Canadian bars uh, through gift cards by encouraging more virtual happy hours. Um, we will be eliminating marketing spend that um, doesn't um, add any value at the point of at, at this point in time, uh, you know, if it's focused on the on-premise or if it's focused in media channels where our consumers um, happen to be. So, you know, as we were expecting a large increase in marketing spend in 2020, I, I don't think we can expect that uh, right now. Thank you. Our next question will come from Dara Mosinen of Morgan Stanley. Please proceed. Hey, guys. I hope you're all well. Uh, so I, I wanted to delve uh, into the U.S. STR result you gave for the, for the first week of April a bit more. Obviously, on-premise is driving the overall weakness, but it's still worse than I would have expected even with that on-premise weakness. So just trying to better understand that performance in terms of what you're seeing by channel in the off-premise in the U.S. in April to, to help decompose that a bit. And then second, you highlighted the economy portfolio 
declines were a lot less severe than the premium brands in, in the April to date number. Is that more just due to channel mix shift away from on-premise or are you seeing trade down within your portfolio in the off-premise channel already? Uh, and any forward thoughts on, on potential trade down both within your portfolio and, and from a beer category perspective? That'd be helpful. Thanks. Thanks, thanks, Derek. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to get all of your questions, so if I miss something, just just come back at me here. I think okay. the first point is the uh, retail sales which Tracy gave in the U.S. was for the four weeks, um, not the first week. I think you said first week, but it's actually the first four weeks of of of, of April. Obviously, the on-premise has reduced to virtually zero. Um, in the off-premise, we're seeing a meaningful shift into large pack uh, sizes and um, into brands that consumers know and trust, like Miller Lite and Coors Light. Miller Lite and Coors Light's performance has has been uh, particularly um, good as we've as we've headed um, into in, into April. We've seen a um, you know we saw an acceleration behind Coors Light and Miller Lite behind our marketing initiatives in 2019. Uh, you know, made to chill with Coors Light. Um, the brand has seen sequential improvement in three straight quarters, and uh, Q1 was actually the best share performance in three years, and, and, and April is, has continued on that on that uh, trend. And Miller Lite uh, continues to do really well. We've celebrated 22 quarters now of segment share growth, and it's actually growing dollar sales share um, in uh, in the latest 52 52 weeks. So, our, our big known trusted brands, um, we're very pleased with. The second part was your, our economy portfolio performance. And yes, we have seen uh, an improvement in our economy portfolio, whether that's Keystone Light, whether that's Miller High Life, Hands, Steel Reserve, or all brands which are doing relatively much better in, um, in the first, uh, first part of, of, of April than they were doing uh, before. Um, did that answer all of your questions, Daryl, or did I miss something? Uh, it, it does. And then just one clarification, within off-premise, can you talk a little bit about the channel performance in the first four weeks uh, off-premise and, and the divergence you're seeing from a channel perspective? And then also consumer trade-down, just, just wanted a bit of a forward look on, uh, on your thoughts there and, and if that um, is likely to be significant in the industry. Thanks. Well, we've seen a strong growth in grocery in the grocery channel, um, particu particularly in large format. Um, we have seen um, it in sort of first part of the coronavirus, the C store channel did not do as well as the as the larger format. Um, it has uh, had somewhat of a recovery uh, since then, but it's still not performing as well as as um, as large format, which which frankly is not surprising given the. You know the impulsive nature of, of, of many of the C store purchases. Um, our, our online um, sales channel is, has certainly seen um, a meaningful surge, as you would expect, and, and hence we're focusing a lot of marketing activity in that direction and partnering with um, various online delivery um, platforms uh, to, to to make sure that our consumers see our brands and and that they're uh, top of. Mind, and we've also launched a product locator to help our our consumers um, uh, find out where our where our brands um, are. I hope that answers your questions. Thanks. Our Great. next question will come from Kevin Grundy of Jefferies. Please proceed with your question. Thanks. Uh, good morning, everyone. And I, I wanted to, to to wish you well as you navigate through a, a clearly difficult environment. Um, my question relates to debt leverage and to the dividend. Uh, so first, your, your debt covenant, uh, four times net debt to EBITDA on a trailing basis. You, you mentioned some of the proactive steps the company is taking around cost and spending. However, based on where we sit today, uh, I was hoping you could comment on your level of comfort with the covenant and what will undoubtedly be a challenging year. And then relatedly with respect to the dividend, maybe you can put some guardrails around a uh, potential cut uh, or suspension to the dividend. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin, and um, thanks for the thanks for the thoughts. I'll ask uh, Tracy to to handle those those questions um, if you don't mind. Tracy. Yes. Hi, Kevin. So look, we, we're aware of all of the current obligations under our credit agreement, and we're in compliance with them. You know, as as we said, we are taking a number of actions, um, which you know will help us navigate the short term impact to our business and, and ensure that we have adequate liquidity. 
So we, you know, just to reiterate, um, you know, reducing capital spend by about $200 million. We are substantially reducing discretionary spend. We've limited new hiring. Um, we're furloughing some employees, especially in, in Europe and some of our um, North American hospitality areas. And we're also reducing marketing spend, as Gavin just mentioned, you know, ensuring that all our marketing investments um, are delivering value in our current environment. Um, but we are still supporting our big brands, as Gavin mentioned, and supporting our innovations. So um, this is a very fluid situation. Um, and again, you know, we, we are monitoring it. We're having discussions with our board um, and evaluating our capital allocation decisions, um, which, as we said in our, in our remarks, you know, does include a suspension, a reduction, or a temporary elimination of the dividend. And we will, of course, communicate um, in due course any key capital allocation measures um, and decisions as they are made. Kevin, just one point that I'd make is you mentioned a four times debt covenant um, ratio. That's at, at the moment it's actually less than that. Um, I'll just refer you. Sorry, higher than that. Sorry, it's uh, 4.25 times. Um, I think um, if you if you look at our SEC financial filings, you'll you'll see it laid out there as to as as, as to the path. Okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll pass it on. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Kevin. Our next question will come from Sean King of UBS. Please proceed with your question. Hey guys, thanks for the question. Um, sorry if I missed this, but uh, uh, you referred to estimated kegs keg returns in Q1. Um, does that account for, I guess, all shipments expected to be um, all shipments that that are expected to be returned? I mean, is there any uh, any way to quantify what continuing overhang there would be um, in Q2? Yeah, thanks, Sean. Good morning. Look, I mean, the the estimate that we've made would would, would cover all of the keg re returns that we we would be um, expected to 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 take back. Um, so the 50 million dollars in aggregate between the impact to net sales revenue and and cost of goods sold is our is our best estimate uh, right now. Um, and obviously, we'll adjust that as um, as as the actual numbers uh, come through. But um, when you when you say an overhang, I, w I, w I would say we've we've tried to get as close to 100% of what we expect our liability to be, uh, based on on what we know. Great, thank you. Our next question will come from Vivian Azer of Cowan. Please proceed with your question. Hi, thanks for the question. Hope everyone is well. Um, you know, Gavin, um, given your experience in the beer industry, I was hoping that you could offer um, some historical context as we think about um, how to anticipate shifts in, in consumer or purchase behavior um, when the consumer is under pressure. So just thinking back maybe to the financial crisis, if you view that as a helpful analog, just remind us the cross-category dynamics that you saw between beer, wine, and spirits, and then um, specifically within beer, how meaningful was the downtrading? Thanks. Thanks, Vivian, and good morning to you as well. Yeah, look, it's certainly an unprecedented time, and you know we've been through recessions before. I don't think we've been through something quite uh, like this before. But 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 certainly, um, ultimately, the question is what this will do for consumer behaviour. It's it's not about whether or not drinkers will continue to consume because they will, um, but it's about how, where, or, or or what they will consume, and and. The early results and what we're seeing at the moment show that consumers are continuing to purchase beer, particularly pantry loading during the pantry loading phase of this of this pandemic. We're seeing a lot more purchases of large pack, and we're seeing um, you know more on premium and economy versus above premium. Um, I would say craft in particular is, is has has been um, disproportionately negatively uh, impacted. We, we have got a very diverse portfolio of products, uh, pack types and price points, uh, which are going to help us capture the volume regardless of where the consumer trends actually uh, take us. Uh, we're well positioned because we play in, 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 in all segments. Um, you know, we, it's, it's clear that the whole industry is impacted. Uh, we believe that we've got, the, you know, we've got the segments and the brands and we've got the right approach. Um, you know, ultimately, we're, we're, we're confident that, take, we, that we're taking the right steps to mitigate the short-term risks and, uh, and position the company to compete in the long, in the long term. Uh, we also believe we're still tracking towards the vision laid out in the revitalization plan, despite uh, the current environment. And, you know, we'll, we'll pivot as necessary in the short term, depending on where the consumer trends take us. 
that's really helpful. Thank you so much. Sure. Our next question will come from Bonnie Herzog of Goldman Sachs. Please proceed with your question. All right. Thank you. Good morning, Gavin. Hope you're doing well. Good morning, buddy. Thank you. I am. Um, I wanted to touch briefly on Vizzy. So it sounds like the brand is doing well based on your comments. But you know, that said, we are hearing from a lot of our contacts about the, the tough environment right now for newer brands. This is just in general. So would love to hear, you know, your take on how the launch has been potentially impacted, you know, by COVID and then maybe what you've done to mitigate some of the unforeseen impacts, you know, you've likely had maybe around distribution and marketing of this brand. Thanks. Thanks, Bonnie, and I hope you're doing well too. Um, yeah, look, I mean, obviously, it's not the ideal product to, uh, time to launch uh, new new products in the in, in the marketplace. So I, I'm sure you don't need me to tell you to tell you that. And as a result of coronavirus, we have made some adjustments to our original innovation plan, which we had. Um, you know, we've delayed some innovations, and we're using those savings to to protect our, our cash and liquidity positions. But as far as the Seltzer market is is concerned, um, we uh, we've got a very clear strategy in in hard seltzers, and we being what we we think we're being smart on how we execute our first two launches. We're first focusing on Vizzy as the big bet, and then we're rolling into Coors Seltzer in the in the fall. Uh, this is a huge segment, and it's got um, plenty of room for multiple brands and solutions. Uh, our approach with Vizzy. Is, is making sure that we come at it with a real point of difference, not just another seltzer, um, to carve out a meaningful space for ourselves in, in what's an increasingly crowded uh, category. And, and that per point of difference for us is it's the first hard seltzer made with acerola cherry, which is the super fruit, uh, which is high in the antioxidant uh, vitamin C. And we're confident that this proposition is going to resonate very well with uh, consumers. We're not going to share specifics on what our media investment is going to be, but we're in the midst of rolling out a pretty robust campaign, which, which will include uh, national TV in the right spots, digital and social, retail uh, tools, and a, and, a, and a sampling effort. It's our, it's our biggest play yet in the hard seltzer market, uh, Bonnie, and, and whilst it's still only a few weeks um, into the launch, uh, we're actually very pleased with the early reads. And we believe that the clear point of difference and the clear point of difference from a visual identity point of view is, is going to set us apart as a, as a, preferred, um, as a preferred seltzer. As far as Coors Light uh, seltzer is concerned, we've got that coming towards the back end of the, of, of the year. We, we believe uh, that at this time in particular, people are turning to known and, and trusted brands, and there's a big opportunity for popular beer brands to enter into this space and we believe we've got the best proposition with Coors uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, it best fits to play in the space. We've tested the Coors seltzer proposition head-to-head -head with other beer-branded seltzers, and Coors won across the board on multiple levels, whether it was purchase intent, whether it was differentiation, distinctiveness, and, and, and so on. It's, its history of Rocky Mountain freshness and water credentials are a perfect fit for, for hard seltzers. And we've got a clear point of difference, which is also very important. It's the first hard seltzer with a social mission. And it's one of the top three drivers of liking for consumers. And finally, we've got a great tasting product. So we're particularly excited about that launch as well. Um, our distributors have done a tremendous job in a very uh, difficult and challenging environment, getting busy onto the, onto the floor and, and, and into, the, into, the, into the coolers. And... Um, you know, as I said, it's, we're just a few weeks in, but we're very pleased with what we're seeing. That was really helpful. Thank you so much for all of that. Sure. Our next question comes from Lorraine Grandet of Guggenheim. Please go ahead with your question. Yes. Good morning, Gavin and, and Tracy. I hope uh, you uh, find you in a, in a healthy shape. Um, Got a question on the on all the the extra costs. I mean, you mentioned all the actions you took to protect your employees, increase social di distancing, and, uh, and raise pay amongst others. Uh, could you please give us uh, at least directionally uh, the total financial impact it has in the quarter by segment? Uh, I mean, uh, Europe and the U.S. And if those actions uh, are just one of in nature, and we should think, I mean, those extra costs will uh, will just be lifted once we return to some kind of normality probably in the second half of the year. Thank you. Right. 
Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for the uh, for the for the questions. Obviously, as I said, one of our our, you know, our top priority is protecting our employees um, and ensuring that they're safe. That they're safe. So, um, in 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 many respects, um, you know, most of those costs will, as 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 life gets back to a to a new normal, uh, disappear. You know, uh, we've. The thank you pay bonus, uh, for example, will, will will be will be removed at a at a point in time when we when we believe it is a, it is appropriate. Uh, we took steps um, in Europe and in North America to ensure that uh, our employees that were higher risk, um, either of a certain age or who had pre-existing conditions, were given the opportunity to um, to stay away from work and, and, and not uh, be disproportionately financially impacted. In the United Kingdom, there is actually a program where 80% where of their pay is reimbursed uh, by, the, by the government. So the impact in the United Kingdom for, for the folk that have, have um, stayed at home is, is not as, um, as impactful as, for example, in the, in the United States. Um, so I've rambled a little bit there. I think the, the answer to your question is no, they won't be permanent um, negatives um, forever. They, they, they will only be there for as long as we believe it's, it's necessary. You know, our number one value um, that we launched, we launched new values in January. Our number one value is people first, and that's how we're making, making all, of our, all of our decisions. I think obviously our social distancing practices will remain in place for quite some time. Um, but the cost of that is relatively, relatively low. You know, our breweries are big. They're, 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 there's a lot of space in our breweries, and, and you know, I think um, the fact that we put in all these policies fairly early on in the in the process has certainly gone a long way to make sure that we've that we've mitigated any impact from a from a supply chain point of view. Thank you. Thank you, Atashita. Thank you. Our next question will come from Brian Spillane of Bank of America. Please proceed with your question. Uh, excuse me. Uh, good morning, uh, Gavin Tracy. Hope, hope you all are well. Um, just wanted to follow up, I guess, on, on Kevin Grundy's question about uh, the balance sheet and the dividend. And Tracy, I think if we're thinking about liquidity and cash needs, I believe you've got a maturity, the September maturity, right, coming due, which is, I think, $500 million later this year. Um, so I guess we're thinking about that maturity, the liquidity you have now, right? You still have about 900 million in the credit facility to be, that you could draw. Is the decision on whether or not you, you, you touch the dividend really predicated on um, maintaining investment grade and, and terms around refinancing, avoiding things like steps and, and other things? Um, or would touching the dividend really be just a function of you know, it's a bad year, and you you, you just you're going to need the extra cash. Just trying to understand what the decision tree would be, um, the need to touch the dividend, and then again, um, how your how your comfort level around uh, that September maturity. Okay, I'll, Brian. Good morning. Thanks. I'll ask Tracy to answer that that question. But just to create one quick point is it's it's not 500 million U.S. dollars. It's 500 million Canadian dollars. So it's somewhat less than that uh, yeah. in U.S. dollars. Yeah, so, so roughly sort of 357 million U.S. equivalents. Um, so, you know, as we mentioned in our prepared remarks, Brian, we'll continue to monitor and take steps to ensure proper business continuity and adequate liquidity for the company. And, you know, we are actively evaluating our capital allocation decisions with our board. So as it relates to that $500 million Canadian um, note that comes due this year, um, that's a capital structure decision that we will make in, consult in consultation with our board as we get closer to the maturity of this debt um, and, you know, then, then sort of make further decisions. Um, you know, the, the conversations that we're having with our board around capital allocation um, does include that, you know, what we mentioned around the dividend. Um, and, again, I just want to say that we'll communicate that in due course um, as soon as um, any decision is made. But um, just you. a final point. I mean, we, we are aware of all the current obligations, um, you know, under our credit agreement, as I said, and, and, you know, we are in compliance with them and we will continue to take the actions needed because um, we do have a continued desire to maintain our investment grade rating. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Brian. Our next question will come from Bill Kirk of MKM Partners. Please proceed with your question. 
Hey, thanks everyone. Uh, so I think Core's Seltzer was originally set to launch in July. Um, so I guess the question is, if, if COVID pressures somehow ease uh, or begin to ease, would there be a willingness to pull uh, what is a delayed launch forward again and, and do it again in July, or, or is it now definitely in the fall? Yeah, hi, Bill. Thanks. Now, look, based on what we're seeing in the marketplace, um, I think you can safely assume that um, it will it, be in the fall. In other words, we, we, I, I, would, I would say based on what we know right now, we will not be bringing forward the launch. We'll, we'll keep it as to where we've moved it to now. Okay, thank you. Our next question will come from Rob Ottenstein of Evercore. Please proceed with your question. Great. Thank you very much. Um, I'd like to kind of first circle back uh, to the U.S. and just make sure uh, I didn't miss anything here. Um, you gave us some April numbers in terms of uh, you know down volumes, I think uh, 14%, I believe. Can, can you disaggregate how much of the uh, impact of pantry loading is or deloading at, at, at this point hit the April numbers? So to give us a little bit better sense of what the, the ongoing rate is in April. Uh, and then you obviously there's, there's a negative mix impact um, can you maybe perhaps touch on uh, what the pricing environment is today? Um, is there, you know, the industry has had really good pricing discipline for, for the last, you know, number of years. Is that is that staying in there? And then, you know, just kind of circling, uh, you know, kind of finishing off with the U.S. If you could then contrast uh, Canada, which which um, hasn't really come up on the call or in the press release. Is Canada looking kind of better or worse than the U.S.? Thank you. Thanks, Robert. Good morning to you. Um, so several. Let me, let me unpack what you said there. So from a from a mixed point of view, obviously um, on premise to to off premise has has um, negative uh, mixed implications uh, for us uh, in terms of of. Canada and how they're performing relative to the U.S. in the first part of April is pretty similar, quite quite frankly, Robert. So, you know, um, not a not a number that's terribly dissimilar to the 14% which uh, which which Tracy uh, mentioned. You know, Canada actually had its best share performance in 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 the first quarter in in, in quite some time. Um, you know, we launched Molson Ultra nationally in Q, in Q1, and it's producing a much better result than the brand which it replaced, which was Molson Canadian uh, 67. Uh, Miller Lite continues to grow strongly in, um, in Canada, strong double digits uh, with the functional message of, of carbs and calories, and Belgium Moon is, is, growing, um, is growing strongly. So, so Canada actually had a, a, a reasonably good, or one of the better uh, first quarters that we've, that we've had for, for some time. From a pricing point of view, you know, pricing in the first quarter in the U.S. was was pretty similar to what it's been for the last uh, three quarters. So it's it's holding up. Um, mix was relatively flat, and um, you know, we we do have some negative in in NSR per hectoliter in the United States in freight and fuel as we as we pass um, you know substantial savings across back to our distributors in line with our with our uh, freight and fuel program, uh, which 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 took the Freight and fuel per hectoliter number down by about 50 basis points um, in the in the U.S. Um, obviously, we've got the keg return negative hit in the U.S., uh, which is impacting our our NSR per hectoliter. That's that's about 100 110 um, basis points for unusuals in 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 total. Canada pricing has held up well from a frontline point of view. Um, you know, frontline is about two points. 260 basis uh, points, and then I think the final part of your question was the impact of pantry loading um, in um, in March versus what's happened in April. Obviously, we had the timing shift of Easter, so the numbers got a little bit um, difficult to compare between March and and April, and even within April, um, I would say to you that 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 strong the, the strong performance in the off-premise. I mean, it, it still it still continues, but it's it's just not enough to offset the loss of 100% of the of the on-premise uh, business. Hope that helped, um, Robert. So, so certainly, no, I understand that. Would Would you think that if you maybe took out the pantry deloading 
uh, instead of being down 14%, maybe you were down kind of mid-single digit. Does that sound about right? Robert, look, I'm not going to um, try and um, on this call unpack that to that level of detail. All I can say to you is that in, in March with the initial pantry load, we, we had, uh, you know, Fourth of July kind of week uh, uh, performance, and, and obviously that has not uh, continued, and, and we don't expect it to continue. But, um, you know, performance has still been, um, has still been good in the, in the off-premise. Great. And, and just, I actually just got a, uh, well, we're on a, a question from a large shareholder asking me to ask you what, uh, what's going on with promotions. In a lot of industries, the promotions have, have been reduced significantly. Is, is that happening in the beer industry as well? Well, we, as it regards the large packs, I mean, we're not promoting large packs because we're, as I said earlier on in the call, we're, we're actually, um, you know, we've got, we're, we're a little bit of hand to mouth from a, from an input material, packaging material basis. So, uh, you know, from from our perspective, um, we're not uh, we're not promoting large packs. I, I can't speak for our for our competitors, but from our perspective, we're not. Great. Thank you very much. Our final question will come from Lauren Lieberman of Barclays. Please proceed with your question. Great. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to know if when we if you could help us at all when we think about cogs per hectoliter, um, anything that you can offer us on fixed versus variable cost. I know we'll have to sort of manually play with some assumptions in terms of mixed dynamics, um, but just anything that you could offer to help us on fixed versus variable cost in, in the cogs line. Right. I'll ask, um, obviously, Tracy to answer the um, cost of goods sold uh, question. Obviously, there are some um, impacts within cost of goods sold, which are somewhat unusual in, in nature. We're not treating them as unusual, but they're one-off of nature, which is all the all the extra steps that we've taken to protect our employees. But Trace, do you want to get into COGS in more detail? Yeah, so I mean, a couple of drivers. You know, we, we did mention that our COGS um, was up 3.3% in constant currency on a consolidated basis. I mean, the big drivers were around the volume deleverage which was um, around 200 basis points of that. And then in addition, you know, this quarter, we did have the keg returns and the on-premise reimbursement program, as well as some finished goods obsolescence, um, which drove higher COGS. It was roughly around 90 basis points. And then um, we did see some inflation, um, and that was um, partly offset by some of the cost savings. I do want to just remind you from an inflation point of view, um, you know, we do have a, a robust hedging program and it's a multi-year program. We were fairly well hedged coming into this year. So, you know, when we see commodity prices being um, reduced, uh, we will obviously participate in that, but only to the extent that, um, you know, we have an unhedged portion for those commodities. Okay. All right. That's really helpful. Um, and then I wanted to just ask, actually, first on Elfland Cogs, there had been no mention of it, but any issues in terms of CO2, just the news headlines that have been out there, just wanted to check in on your CO2 position. Yeah, so, look, um, Lauren, obviously, you know, with the drop um, in the price of ethanol about a month ago, um, many of the ethanol producers have stopped producing. And, you know, since that ethanol is used by our CO2 suppliers, there are expected shortages in the markets, and we're monitoring this very closely. Um, however, we do have secondary sources in place, um, and as yet we have not had any disruptions to our supply. And we also are collecting as much CO2 at our breweries um, as possible so that we can be self-sufficient. Um, but at this point, um, no disruptions. Okay, great. And then the final piece, sorry, was just in the release, there was a mention on um, on tax and the possible $100 to $200 million tax expense in the second quarter. So anything you could elaborate on there or a sense yet of, um, you know, cash component of that, whether it's in the second quarter or through the year? Yeah, so look, we're still doing a full technical and, and legal analysis of the, the tax regs and to under, really understand the full impact and the implications um, for, for cash taxes as well as the timing. Um, and so the 100 to 200 million that we mentioned in the release is a P&L impact and, you know, it relates to the periods from 1st of January 2018 right up until March 31st, 2020. 
So that estimate considers the full range of impacts, um, but again, we're still doing you know, some of the legal and technical um, analysis, and we'll be able to give more in Q2. Okay. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, that will conclude our question and answer session. I would like to hand it to Gavin Hattersley for closing remarks. Thanks, Eric. And look, I know there may be some questions we weren't able to answer today. So, you know, please follow up uh, with Greg um, if you have them directly. And then uh, Tracy and I look forward to talking with many of you as the as the year progresses. So, stay self safe and healthy, everybody. And um, thank you for participating in this morning's call. The conference has now concluded. Thank you very much for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.